only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to a message to go from Axe Church. We hope this message will light up your day. I'm going to teach a little bit on the kingdom of God today. Uh, okay. <laughs> it might get a little bit heavy, I, I hope. Okay, so I'm going to read firstly uh, from Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Uh, and it says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And so, of course, we know this is the short version of the Great Commission uh, taken from the book of Mark. Uh, if you read through all the Gospels. Uh, the Great Commission is in all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, of course, the most evident one is in Matthew. That's the one that we got uh, and we always repeat. Uh, Mark has the shorter version, but it is also in John. It is also uh, in the book of Luke. And so the Gospel that we are actually called to preach is the Gospel of the Kingdom. That's what it is. It is actually stated, Gospel of the Kingdom. What's, what's the Gospel? Well, it's basically good news. Okay, that's what we are carrying with us, the good news. So gospel of the kingdom just means good news of the kingdom. Uh, the good news of the rules of Jesus Christ for the believers to follow. That's how, that's how we should look at it. And if you are commissioned to preach the gospel of the kingdom, then I think it's important that we should know the content of our mission. Uh, as in, what's the easy kandungan of your mission? Uh, because if you are supposed to preach the kingdom, then we don't quite know what the kingdom is. It's also going to be quite futile when we go out and share. Uh, and so, I, I will start off by uh, alluding to another portion of scripture. And of course, this is uh, taken from Matthew chapter 6. It's the Lord's Prayer. And it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it goes on to say, Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, so this prayer starts with our Father. And that in itself means we must, as believers, uh, never have an identity crisis, I pray. Especially when we are declaring God's kingdom to come. Uh, because when we start off that prayer to God, it says our Father. That means we know who He is and we know who we are. Uh, it's quite confusing if you are actually praying our Father, but you don't really know who Father God is. Or, and at the same time, you are uncertain of your identity in Him as a child of God. So I, I pray that we are all clear 
on that, you know, as we pray the Lord's Prayer. And I want to encourage us, pray the Lord's Prayer daily. Daily. Because there's, I mean, it's a very, very powerful prayer that sometimes we take uh, for granted. You no, know, I, I actually remember sharing with someone and telling the person, you no, know, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you know there's one part of the prayer that is sort of conditional. It actually says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's, it's hard to pray the prayer and don't mean it, which of course tells me that then we got to go out and really reconcile with people and not make enemies. Uh, but that's one of the hardest things, uh, forgiving others. Uh, someone actually told me recently, you know, that when he prays the Lord, pray, Lord's Prayer, he, he, he just, he doesn't pray the whole part because he can't. But he was honest. He was honest and he said, I, I, I'm just at a place where I'm so bitter with this particular person in my life. Um, and I know, I know that is stopping me short of really experiencing God's fullness and God's kingdom. Um, and I, I just had to encourage him. I, I told him, I'm so grateful that you had the courage to actually acknowledge that <laughs> I stopped short of that part. Uh, but again, I want us to, I want to encourage us, uh, pray the prayer, mean the prayer, uh, because there are a lot of things in the prayer that we need to, that, that there's, there's the divine sovereignty part, very important for us to always acknowledge that God is sovereign and God is great and really His kingdom is what we are preaching. But there is also the human responsibility part. That means there is a part for us to play. Uh, there is a part for us to uh, uh, do something for us. We always think that oh, God, every, everything preordained, everything predestined, we just sit down and kill Kani. Uh, that's not how it works. If you, if, I mean, we are all living in this reality and this reality requires a response, okay? So let's not have an identity crisis. But what I want to do is, I want to do this. I want to help us look at the kingdom of God uh, in a chronological fashion. Uh, from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament because we have time. I chirita, chirita a bit, okay? Uh, and then as you all catch it, I pray that uh, I, I pray that with the enlightenment and with the knowledge and the understanding of uh, the totality of God's Word uh, that you will have a new perspective of what the kingdom really is, okay? So chronologically, because really, kingdom of God is one of those things that still leaves people a bit perplexed, they're, when you talk about kingdom of God, they're like, huh? Uh, what, what, what really is it? No, Kerajaan Tuhan in Basa. Uh, but it really should not be the case. No? Uh, so, what do we understand from a simple layperson's perspective of the word kingdom? I'll start off with this. Kingdom. What, what, what needs to be in a kingdom? You need a king. Okay? So you need a sovereign who rules and reigns. And then what else do you need? You need subject. So you need a subject to submit to the wishes of the king. Just two things, king and subject. So the people wanted a sovereign all this while. Uh, that's how we are made one. People wanted a sovereign, but they found a servant. Okay, and this is, this is where the enigma is, the problem arises. People wanted a sovereign, found a servant. And Jesus was looking for subjects, but always found them lacking. Always found them wanting for lack of a better word. Lah. And for me, uh, this is like major crisis happening really. Uh, because of, of this, many people actually look at the kingdom of God and they think it's a dying kingdom. They think it's something that is degenerating. 
uh, when that was not how God intended it to be. If you realize God always wanted things to grow and generate, that's where you get the word genesis. Uh, it's always to, it, it promotes something progressive, uh, to generate, to be generous. Uh, any word that you see, the G-E-N, basically just means growth. Uh, but we have come to this place when sometimes we view the kingdom because of all this uh, uh, different uh, conflicting things that are happening. It looks like it's degenerating more than it's actually generating. I mean, if you look to post-Christian Europe today, it looks like that. Really, when, when I travel Europe, uh, churches are just monuments. They are not places where there are people in there. It's places where you actually go and pay a fee to go and visit. Uh, I, I, I have visited some of the most beautiful uh, churches in the whole of Europe, but the saddest thing is, I don't see worshippers. I see patrons who go in as tourists. And what's even sadder, I see a lot of churches actually having to close down. It's actually very, very expensive to maintain those old buildings. Uh, and so a lot of the churches, eventually, they can't continue with the maintenance. Uh, they give it up. And churches are then eventually turned into uh, pubs, uh, turned into nightclubs. Uh, some even turn into mosques and different uh, other, other places of worship for other people. Uh, amazing. Post-Christian Europe uh, seems almost like everything is in the decline. But let's study kingdom uh, in some detail. And the word kingdom itself could mean a few things. It could actually mean place. A place. So something on a map with boundaries clearly drawn out. United Kingdom is a place. Okay. It could also mean people, okay? A group of people, citizens or subjects, wherever they may be, regardless of where they are at. Okay, so place, people. It could also mean power, where the king can actually exert authority over a place and people. Power. Uh, in most kingdoms of the world, you will actually see it in this order. A place, a people, a power. But when you travel the Middle East, and you know, my sister lives in the Middle East, uh, and again, we are taking it from the context of the Bible, a lot of Middle East context there. Uh, there, there are no boundaries and all sand on here, seriously. Uh, you walk in different places in the Middle East, you see sand, but they sort of know who's in charge right? of who's the chafit, basically. There's one gangster, right? always some shah or something like that, uh, that takes care of a particular area. They don't need boundaries, but they know who's in power. Uh, that's the context of the Middle East. And usually in the Middle East, uh, it's the Balik one. It's power, people, then only place. And I will explain this as I move forward. So the word kingdom uh, is actually used many, many times in the scriptures, in scriptures. And we can actually see how the word itself has developed throughout the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so let's start with the Old Testament. Israel actually became a kingdom before she had a place and before she was a people because the power of God came upon her. And I'll explain what I mean by this. You know the Israelites were just a bunch of nobodies. They were slaves actually, no money, no land, no government, no community, no rules, nothing that makes them a nation, nothing, absolutely nothing. Then God in his almighty power got them all out of the land, defeated the Egyptians, a lot of plagues happened, but had to happen. And then help them basically to get out, defeat the Egyptians and get out. And then having got them under his power, he then made them a people. And then he gave them his laws, 
community rules, down to the last detail, you know, to personal hygiene. Uh, whatever you need to do, everything was laid down. Levitical laws were laid down uh, for them, which would help them and enable them to live as a people. And after that only, did God say, now I will give you a place. And then he gave them the promised land, Canaan. So you see the order. It started off with power, and then people, and then place. And therefore, the kingdom began with when, when, began when God stepped in, in power. Then they became a people. Then they got the place. And that was how the kingdom of Israel was established. Uh, not the Bali, which is what we are used to today. And so they were meant to be a kingdom unique in this world. Right? The only kingdom in the world uh, without a visible king. Because that was what God was supposed to be for them. He was supposed to be the king. And God was to be their kingdom, their king, their kingship, their reign, their ruler. He was supposed to be their all in all, basically. Uh, and they were to be his kingdom and he would do it. But we all know what happened at last, right? People of Israel started looking everywhere, look at all the other nations and they're like, hey, those first got king. Uh, we also want king. And they want someone to sit on a horse, one. someone can go to battle for them. Uh, and they kept asking and kept asking and finally God said, alright, I'll give you a king. But I warn you, in exchanging a divine king for a human one, you will find yourself in trouble. You can see that actually in First Samuel uh, chapter 8, verse 18. And then with that, uh, they still went ahead. They chose a fine, strong, big, handsome man called Saul. And we all know that he was a bit mad. Saul was a bit mad. No, read, read, read Saul and read the things that he did. We realized that the floor was a bit cuckoo one. Uh, of course, Saul didn't last long and then they sought another one and God guided them to a man called David. And he was a good man uh, and they never knew such peace and prosperity actually when they were under David's reign, David's kingship. But he also was a man and he of course had different kinds of weaknesses and after uh, some of these weaknesses happened, David was never the same king again. But Sheba messed him up a little bit, uh, honestly. Uh, but more than that, I mean, because he, he's, he was human. And then he moved on to who? Solomon, the son that he had with Bathsheba. <laughs> uh, a man with grand building schemes, no? full of pride. Uh, and he is the one that actually instituted slavery in Israel. Uh, so he raised this discontent that the day he died, so much discontentment was actually raised from uh, Solomon's rule. Uh. The day he died, uh, civil war broke out. And civil war broke up and they finished up with two kings, Jeroboam in the north and Rehoboam in the south. That's why you get the southern kingdoms and the northern kingdoms. Uh, and then from then on, you can read all about it in the two books of kings. Okay, go ahead. Like I said, I'm going to bring you all through a quick journey through the Old Testament, but you can read, no? Uh, and then you realize the royal standards uh, just kept going down and down and down and down and down. And then occasionally, there were some good kings, like the boy king, Josiah. Uh, he came to the throne at 12, but none would be like David, uh, in his good old glory days. Uh, and there were, of course, plenty of not-so-good kings. A lot. Or Gilawan. Uh, and we read about it. So, so the Israelites asked for a human king and God gave them human kings. And look where they are at. And look what happened to them. What they needed actually was a divine king here on earth. Yet they wanted to have a human king. And then from there on was actually born within their minds a concept of a king of Israel who would be divine and human. That's where it starts to formulate in their minds. 
and would be like a son of man and yet would be the son of God. That's why prophetically, the Jews actually were waiting for this human king. In fact, they're still waiting for their human king to come because they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah that their own scriptures talk about. Uh, but they did give this king a title, no? the anointed one. Of course, in Hebrew, it's called Messiah. Uh, and in Greek language, it's Christ. So they prayed no, for this king. And they're still praying for this king. Uh, this king who would be the best of both worlds, fully divine, fully human. Amazing. Heaven on earth. Kingdom of God, heaven here on earth. This is what they were expecting, still expecting. But again, as believers, when we move into the New Testament, we realize this prayer came to, came to pass. Uh, and the Old Testament prophecies on this Messiah was fulfilled. It was eventually fulfilled in the New Testament when an angel came to a young virgin, probably about 15 years old, and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You are going to have a baby even though you have not known a man. And then the angel said, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Luke chapter 1. And all through our Lord's life, people tried to offer him the throne. Actually, you read it. All through his life. After he had fed the 5,000, we are told that they tried to make him king in John chapter 6. Then the day came when they thought he at last was going to be the king that they had prayed for when they prayed, your kingdom come, in John 12. So he rode into Jerusalem, okay, at the head of a mighty crowd, a lot of people, uh, and he fulfilled the prophecy in Zechariah which says, Behold, your king comes to you, meek and lowly and riding on an ass. That's what Zechariah says. And they thought, this is it, no? the kingdom has come. And they shouted, what did they shout? They shouted, Hosanna, which means save us now. And they came into Jerusalem thinking that now a Jew would be on the throne of Israel. Yet, he disappointed them. He so disillusioned them uh, that a few days later, they said, we have no king but Caesar. In John chapter 19. They became disillusioned by Jesus because he wouldn't fight the Romans. In fact, Jesus would not answer their prayers that says your kingdom come for centuries since then. At least not in the way the people thought it to be or expected it to be. Because you have to understand this, no? The first coming, Jesus rode in on a donkey. That's not an animal that depicts battle. Uh, it's an animal that actually talks about peace and reconciliation. And that was his purpose coming in, uh, in the first coming. It was to bring peace. It was to bring reconciliation. The second coming, we know that he will ride in and Revelation tells us that he will ride in triumphantly on a horse. That is the right animal to talk about winning battles. Donkey is different. They expected him. If you walk down that road, I don't know what, Via Della Rosa, they, they expected him to turn right, which actually brings you to the Roman garrison because they thought, man, this fellow is going to start a revolution and he's going to face the Romans. But where did he go? He turned left. He went to the temple and he scolded people in the temple. Basically, that's what he did. He went to the temple and he said, what are you guys doing? You're trading in the temple and you're turning the house of God, which is supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations and you're turning it into a den of thieves. They didn't expect him to do that. They were actually hoping for a political king. 
they wanted him to overcome uh, the Romans, but he wanted to clean them up first. So when they eventually brought Jesus uh, to before Pilate, Pilate couldn't make it out. No, he said, "Are you a king?" Then Jesus said, "My kingdom is not of this world." And so Pilate actually went out to the crowd and said, "Shall I crucify your king?" You see, all the non-Jews saw him. No, and I'm sure Pilate felt that this Jesus is no ordinary dude. There was something unique about him. And he could, he could sense Jesus' authority and power since he eventually wrote a little notice that was stuck on the cross. And what did that notice say? This is the king of the Jews. And then the dying thief, you know, there was a dying thief spotted that and then sensed that he was in the presence of a king. And then the thief believed that one day in the distant future, Jesus would have a kingdom. Yeah, she said, oh, I believe no one day you will have a kingdom. And so he told Jesus, he turned to Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But take note of what Jesus says. You know? But the thief, had, in a way, got it wrong as well. You know? Because in Jesus' mind, the kingdom of God was actually here and now. Because he said to him, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. So what is the kingdom of God to us today in present? That's where I'm getting at as I'm telling all these stories. The trouble was that Jesus taught one thing and the people taught another when they said, your kingdom come. That's the problem that arises. No, he wanted one kind of kingdom, they wanted another. They wanted a political uprising, Jesus wanted the kingdom of heaven here on earth. They thought it was still future. Jesus said it is here and now. You can get into the kingdom now, in a way, some commentators will say the kingdom of God has been inaugurated. That means it has begun. But it's not fully consummated yet. Or it has started, the kingdom of God is started, but it's not fully completed yet. Of course, we know that it will be completed upon his second coming. Or you can look at it this way. We can enter into the kingdom of God now but we may not fully inherit it all yet. But it is actually here and now. And that is why all these questions then came about. No? If it is the kingdom of God, does it include people? I mean, they were all curious. They wanted to know what's happening. If it is the kingdom of heaven, will it ever appear on earth? No, is the kingdom of heaven something that is going to come in the future or something that is here and now in the present? Everyone was asking that. And to all these questions, I believe the answer is both. It's both. And let me take you briefly through our Lord's teaching on the subject. And if you take your Bible and you underline, you start underlining the word kingdom in it, you will make a discovery you know, that Jesus taught the kingdom, he preached about the kingdom a lot. I mean a lot. He, he, everything that he talked about was basically the kingdom, probably more than any other word. Okay? And then in Mark, Chapter 1, verse 15, of course, he said that the gospel of the kingdom must be preached, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What did he mean? No? Uh, our commission, again, is to preach the gospel of the kingdom. So there are two things that he meant. One that happens here and now, in the present. And then another that will happen there and then, in the future. Stay with me, eh? 
stay with me. There's the here and now in the present and then there is a there and then in the future. What does this mean, here and now? So his message is this, if I cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. If I heal the sick, the kingdom of God has come upon you. If people who are lonely and afraid are filled with new life, the kingdom of God has come upon you. When people who are in chains of sin are set free, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Basically, the kingdom of God is something that has broken right into human history now. And you can get into it now. And indeed, he said the most unlikely people were getting into it. Actually, you read what Jesus says. Most unlikely people, tax collectors and prostitutes. And he also did say the rich don't get in very easily. That means it's actually hard for us, no? because most of us are, by God's standards, very wealthy. When they were poor, they were really, really poor. Uh, he said the respectable will find it hard to get in. And the Pharisees just couldn't make it in because there was something that was wrong in them. But those who were completely dependent on God, they could get in. And so the religious and the wealthy would find it hard to get in. But basically what Jesus is saying is this, anybody who is bad enough to say that they are bad and will come can get in. It's amazing. Anybody who will humble himself and become like a little child and say, I've got to learn all over again. I've got to start at the beginning, can get in. Anybody who will come and say, I need a new life, I need to be born again, will see the kingdom. Therefore, all children of God, all sons and daughters of God are welcome to the kingdom of God. Here and now, Jesus was teaching that this kingdom is something that you can't get into with a passport one. A lot of times we always think, oh, we do all these things that we can get into the kingdom. It's not so much that you can't get into with a lot of money, you can't get into because you are very good. That's why your righteousness counts for nothing. It's, I can tell you grace is actually offensive. It's offensive to us humans because we always say, huh? I don't have to do anything can, can, get, can get into God's kingdom. Or not. Yes. Because it's His grace upon us. And, all, and it's His righteousness upon us. And He even said, you know, your righteousness, you can take and throw away because it's, it's as filthy as filthy rags. But that's offensive to people because some people thrive by leaving it right. And they say like, huh? Why you say the right things that I do count for nothing? Yeah, that's exactly what scripture says. That's why grace is actually offensive to people because they look at it as I can't do, nothing I can do to get me into heaven, which is true. Because it's by grace that we are saved. We don't need to do anything to deserve. We need to do some things to receive it. Nothing we can do to deserve it but we need to have faith because it says by grace through faith. So we need to have faith to receive God's righteousness placed upon us. And so, he says you can only get in if you are bad, know you are bad, and you want to be good. And that's how valuable the kingdom is to those who are lost. He said that this kingdom is like a precious pearl worth selling everything to get It is worth more than anything to you. Matthew chapter 13, verse 45. He goes on to say, It is like a man who found treasure in a field. Didn't tell anybody, but went away and sold everything he had and bought the field. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. 
it is something for which someone ought to be ready to give up anything at all because it is so valuable and you can have it here and now. That is the kingdom of God. And Jesus said that the people were entering the kingdom, it had started and it was growing. It may be small, like a grain of mustard seed compared with the human race, but no, when it was growing, it will be the biggest tree of it all. And he said, no, that it is like leaven. It is like leaven. It works so silently. You put a bit of yeast into a lump of dough and the yeast works silently. But it is working to leaven the dough. So when people ask, no, where is the kingdom of God today? You tell them, it is where the yeast is in the dough. You may not, you may, sometimes we may not see it. But people say the church uh, is a very small organization, a tiny group of people. I say it's actually a mustard seed that can grow because we are supposed to be living in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is something that is already happening and we can be in it and live, live as citizens right now. But a lot of times we don't realize that and we think the kingdom of God is not just here and now. And that's why there are countless numbers of people living in the kingdom today. We thank God no, from what they started back then when Jesus came with 12 apostles, disciples. Today, it's about 2.5 billion believers and more from the past. Think about it. It's like yeast in dough. And so, many people, you know, Paul actually writes to the Romans, you know, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It is not just material things. However needful those things may be and however important it is that Christians feed those who are hungry and thirsty, etc. It will not get them into the kingdom because the kingdom of God is not about meat and drink and something physical. The kingdom of God is actually righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus actually said, you will see the kingdom of God come with power in your lifetime, he meant it. And on the day of Pentecost, when they saw the power of God come, they were actually enjoying the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 2. Almost every letter in the New Testament refers to living in the kingdom, preaching the kingdom, enjoying the kingdom, knowing what it's like to have the power of God in your life right now. For many of us in the church, the kingdom of God has come. We are in it. We are enjoying the reign of God in our lives. So God is ruling over our circumstances. God making all things work together for the good of those who love him. God is in charge of next week. And that is the kingdom of God here and now. But is that all? Is it just the kingdom of God here and now for the individual? But we are also praying. And in the prayer, we actually say, your kingdom come. What does that mean? Sometimes we get confused. Does that not connote that something will also happen? Yes. Because if half of the Lord's teaching of the kingdom says it's a present experience, which it is, it is a present experience, the other half of what he says, it is also a future expectation. Not just a present experience, a future expectation, something that is not yet. It is something that is now and something that is not yet. That's why a lot of people get, uh, I'm confused. But don't be. It is something that is now and something that is not yet. I believe it's both. And when, what then is yet to come? What does it mean when Jesus actually teaches to pray your kingdom come? And at this point, I must remind you of something that we all already know. But there is another kingdom in this world as well as the kingdom of God. We see it around us. It's called the kingdom of Satan. 
And when the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus answered, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You, can't, you won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. When he says it's already among you, he also means that among you there are also other kingdoms that exist. And that is why Jesus also spoke of the kingdom of darkness. He spoke of the kingdom of disease. Basically, he spoke about the kingdom of Satan. And this is the problem. If the kingdom of God has already come, why is it that people are dying around us? Why is, why is there disease? Why is there violence? Why are their lives being ruined and destroyed? We always ask all these questions. Now, why are all this happening? It is because many kingdoms of this world are not part of the kingdom of God. They are actually part of the kingdom of Satan. I believe it with all my heart. In fact, I think many kingdoms, a lot, majority are still belonging to the prince of this world, which is not God, it's Satan. So when Jesus came to earth, the devil offered to make a bargain with him. Read the scriptures. That he would give Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. Matthew 4, Luke 4. Jesus didn't say they were not his to give. Do you realize that? They, in a way, it's almost like connoting that they were actually his to give. The devil was, you know, has world politics in his grabs. The devil has the economy in his grabs, almost everything, because people's hearts are hardened and deceitful. And the devil is controlling a lot of the world. And Jesus spoke of him as the prince of this world, the ruler of this world. So what we are seeing in the world is a confrontation between two kingdoms, which are utterly opposed to one another. And I believe this is what sometimes creates that confusion within us, that conflict, because we are living in between this conflict. And that's why when we talk about the kingdom of God, we can't fully reconcile and can't fully understand. Jesus spoke about rescuing individuals out of the clutches of the kingdom of Satan. He actually spoke about it. And that is what we have to understand. And many of our Lord's parables of the kingdom tell us that these two kingdoms will go on side by side until the end of age. And it is this conflict that has perplexed all of us. So he puts it in picture language. No, He puts it in picture language. There is the wheat, the gandum, and the weeds, the lalang, okay, that will grow together till the close of age. Then there is the sheep and the goat. You all remember that, the story? The biri biri and the kambing. Uh, that graze together till the end of age. And then there is the good fish and the bad fish that will be in the net. Then there is the wise and the foolish virgins. So he's constantly saying they are both existing together. But all these parables say that a day will come when one of the two will disappear altogether. The wheat, the gandum, will be gathered into the barn and the weeds, the lalang, will be burned. Who sowed those weeds? The devil did. Into the fields of this world. And so there will come a day when the good and the bad fish are sorted out. And the bad ones thrown away and when the sheep and the goats will be separated. One day that will happen, but we are living side by side right now, both kingdoms. That is when the kingdom of God will actually, eventually, when that one day comes, that sorting process takes place, that is when the kingdom of God has come universally. It has come individually for all of us, but it has not come universally for all of us yet. That's why we can, we can live in the now, here and now, 
individually. So the kingdom of God is something that individuals can get into now and they can pray your kingdom come for the day when the kingdom comes universally. Amen? And of course, if what we saw at the beginning is right, then the kingdom can only come when the king comes. Right? And you cannot have a kingdom without a king. And when will the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? The answer is when the king comes back again. And that's why my understanding of that expression, your kingdom come, is actually summed up in the last prayer in the Bible, in Revelations. It actually is this statement that says, even so, come Lord Jesus. Revelations 22, 20. This, this phrase, come Lord Jesus, is the same the early church used to shout out. They used to shout out Maranatha, which also means, come Jesus. Because they were, actually he just left, but they wanted him to come back quickly because there were so much things. But he, again, he tarries. He waits because really he wants us to bring his good news, the gospel of the kingdom, to as many people as possible. Sometimes we always, you know, God, come back quickly, come back quickly. And I always tell people, you want God to come back quickly, it could have been at your expense if he came back any sooner because we may not have known him yet. So there's a moral to that story. Basically, go and tell people about who this God is. Share the gospel of the kingdom. And this is why we pray that, you know, universally God's reign may cover the whole heaven and the whole earth. So the practical question is, do you really want this to happen? Are you looking forward to it? You know, unlike a constitutional monarchy, you know, like, like the UK and even actually Malaysia is also a constitutional monarchy. Uh, when the, the God who is king actually really rules. A, a constitutional monarchy that we see today, the king is usually a figurehead. Uh, Queen Elizabeth was probably one of the better monarchs where they really respected her and she was really a bastion of the Christian faith in the UK. Uh, but since her passing, I think it's going to be even more diluted. There are rubber stamps only at the end of the day, but the real king, God or God king is someone who really rules. Man was never made to govern himself, but to be subject to a king. And when we pray your kingdom come, we are actually saying, Lord, be the king of my body today. Lord, be the king of my mind now. Lord, be the king of my soul this moment. Lord, be the king of my ambitions right here. Lord, be the king of my career where I am. The confusion is not between the here and now being reconciled with the there and then. It is due to the conflict that is ongoing between the righteous and the evil that both want to reign in our lives here on earth. And to carry out the mission of preaching God's kingdom to every creature, we must, we must allow God to first reign in our lives. He must have absolute authority in our lives. I want your kingdom to be manifest in me today and I'm praying that everyone will accept this authority one day. Do we really want that? That's what it means by it's here for us as individuals. It will come for everyone universally one day. Here and now, looking forward to the there and then. Very important. He is king and we are his subjects. He is Abba and we are his sons. And one day God will come 
and He will reign forevermore. Amen? You know, I started off by saying that this is the content of mission. Content, basically the EC. This is what we go out and share. And we tell people, this is God's kingdom. And we can live in God's kingdom here and now and today. We just need to be subject to the king. But just content alone, you know it's not always enough. You know, I like to do this exercise sometimes, no? I'll, I'll ask, okay, let me ask the congregation. How many of you all believe that I, I exist? How many of you all? So few, huh? Believe that I exist. Uh, okay. Uh, how many of you all believe in me? You believe in me, Elaine? Would you give me all your money for me to invest? Oh, you would? Wow, thank you. A, a lot of times, we believe that. I mean, if I ask you, how many of you all believe that I exist? I expected all of you all to put up your hands like, because you can see me here right now, right? Why are you all so iffy uh, about, about that? That's the reality, right? It's not a trick question. Uh, no, so how many of you all believe that I exist? I was expecting all of you all to put up your hands. How many of you all believe in me? Maybe less hands will, would have gone up. And true enough, less hands went up. And of course, I had to ask Elaine, if you believe in me, would you, would you give me all your money for me to invest. You know, a lot of times we know the content. We have the EC. Uh, we believe that, a lot of us believe that Jesus went to the cross, died for us. Three days later, he was resurrected. We believe that. But how many of us believe in Jesus? We got to move from content to confidence. That's something that's very, very important. We may have all the content, all the knowledge. And that's, that's the foundation of our belief, foundation of our faith. We carry with us the gospel of the kingdom, the knowledge of the kingdom of God. I hope by today I'm able to share just a little bit more to help you all understand where you are at. But that's just knowledge. That's just the understanding that we are already living in God's kingdom. We can appropriate God's kingdom. We can take it put it in us and go and carry. But really, that's just the content. The confidence is actually taking it and going out. That is the next phase. Because a lot of times as Christians, we have belief but we don't have behaviour. We have a lot of doctrine but we have no doing. It goes hand in hand. That's why I say there's divine sovereignty that's human responsibility. Hand in hand. God wants to cooperate with us. He doesn't just predestine us to be robots. Uh, you are safe. Okay, I just sit down and chill. Okay? No. He warrants a response from us. And I pray that we will move from where we are, content to confidence. Don't just don't just possess your faith. Practice it. It's going to be something that's very, very important and I hope today I'm able to just encourage all of us with now the knowledge, the clear knowledge and the clear understanding because our faith is always built on facts and the facts come from His Word. And there's nothing wrong in His Word. His Word is absolutely truth, absolute truth. 
We hope you've been blessed by this message. For more information on our church, please visit xchurch.org. We are also active on Facebook and Instagram. We're believing that this week is going to be a good week ahead for you. God bless. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.